0: Today's daf is daf Lamed Aleph. I'm going to go from the Mishnah at the bottom of Lamed Amud Bei, 30b. Today's Shir is Ilunishmas Ben Sion Ben Ze'ev Avram Halevi, Meiz Neshoma, in Aliyah. Yeah, so we're moving from one end of in this tomorrow we're moving from one end of Shas to or one one discussion to the to to seemingly totally opposite and Yesterday we discussed what would fall in your Yoredea, what a lot of halachas that would fall in your Yoredea, how to cash, etc. Today we're going to seem to move a lot to choshen Mishpat to discuss laws to do with loans and um, securities and guarantees. Obviously, we know, uh, obviously it's to do with Chomets, what happens if someone lends, the main discussion is focused around what happens if someone lends a non-Jew, lends a non-Jew money and Chomets, is a guarantee. Or the other way around, does, who's considered the owner of the Chomets and will it be Osur on, after Pesach or not? So let's start with the Mishnah. So it says, Nachri if a non-Jew ends, lends a Jew money, Al-Chimut for with his Chomets as a security, after Pesach, the Jew is allowed to get benefit from that. The Jew is allowed to get benefit from that uh, chomet. How the Gemara is going to explain it? Just it will make it a lot easier to understand the mission if we see the Gemara's conclusion. Um, but basically, what happened here is so the non-Jew lent the Jew money. The Jew gave him gave him to keep some chomets as a security. The due date of the loan was after Pesach, and after Pesach, the Jew defaulted on paying it back. So the non-Jew got the security. Um, therefore, after Pesach, it's as if it was the non-Jews the whole time. And then the Jew, and therefore, Jews can get benefit from that Chomat over Pesach, as we've learned. Khumits belonging to a non-Jew, we can get benefit from after Pesach. So then that's the one, um, then the opposite case is for Yisrael shehilva et Nochri al If a Jew lends a non-Jew money, taking some of the non-Jews' chomets as a security, after Pesach, the chomets is Osurbano, And that would be the same thing, um, just switching it around, the... Uh, um, uh, uh, switching it around. The Jew lends the non-Jew money. The non-Jew gave him Chomet as a security. The Jew kept it in his thing. Um, the Jew date of the... So, well, let's start. Let's go back. Sorry. One, let me just say slightly different. The Jew date for the loan, according to Rashi, is after Pesach. The non-Jew gave the Jew Chomet as a security. He then defaulted on the loan. It's been in the Jew's possession the whole time. So it's as if the Jew owned it over Pesach, and therefore not allowed to get benefit from it after Pesach. Itmar, it was taught, Balchov, regarding a creditor. How do we view the security? Abaya says we view it as if he acquires the security from the time of the loan. And Rava says we view it as if he gets the security from now onwards. again, someone owes you money and you have... And obviously there's a a security, a mashcon. When do we view it as if the mashcon became yours? Is it from the date that he defaulted on the loan and you get... And the security is officially yours? Or is it viewed as from the date that... uh, that the loan was taken out, and kind of it was on condition. It was, uh, I don't know, a gift to sell on condition. If I don't pay you, then this is yours from today. So that's a machloikes, a buyer and rover. So kol igdish, lojwe, vizavin, lojwe, kuli um, if the borrower would sell that item, or the borrower would donate that item to the temple. Lo there's no argument. So again, what we we have um, this this item was a security for a loan. The the borrower, either one who initially owned that item, then went and gave it a, as a gift to the temple, or he sold it. Lo no one argues. I see milva I see milva that the lender can come and take it or he can redeem it. I, The lender was told, yeah, this will be your security. My pa- car will be your security. The borrower subsequently donates that car to the temple or he subsequently sells that car. He then, when he then defaults on the loan, the lender is allowed to go and take it and he redeems it also for a token amount. I'll come back to this point that he can redeem it even get from Hegdesh tnan, As we learned in the Mishnah, he just adds in, pays a little bit, a token amount, and he can redeem these assets. It's brought that the reason that he has to pay a token amount is so that it does, people don't get confused and think he's just taking something from Hegdesh. So let's just discuss that car that was a security. The borrower then donated it to the temple. He defaults on the loan. We tell, again, there's many different ways of learning this, but I'll keep it to, straight, to one straightforward way. We tell, um, he, we tell him that he must give the Beis Amikdash a token amount to get it. Granted, he could get it, without, um, strictly speaking, he could take it without giving a token amount. We tell him to so that people don't think you can take something from the temple without ever redeeming it. Um, there's, an, there's a big question that everyone goes into here. A little bit off topic but it discusses a few important points uh, i mean a little bit more detailed a deeper thing to discuss but it but as i said it's a, an important point will come out um, they ask Rava, so Rover here agrees with this point so it's rover and a buyer that again if someone if there's a security and the borrower sells the security and he then defaults on the loan the lender can go and collect that security from the buyer or from Hegdesh Now, Rava elsewhere says, Hegdash is the important one for us. Sanctifying an object takes the Shibud, the bond, off it. I This item, this car, was bonded to the creditor. Sanctifying it remove that bond so that seems to contradict what we've just said we just said that if he donates it to the temple the the lender when he comes to collect the bond he can the security he can take it from hekdash he just pays a token amount for now the reason but he can strictly speaking he can come and just take it it wasn't the lenders to sell it wasn't the borrowers to sell and Elsewhere, Robert says no, Hegdesh is strong enough. So, there are many different answers, just to say two of them. One is Rashi's answer. Rashi says the difference is is it land or is it metaltalin? There's always an important point, and we'll touch on that coming up in the Sukya. The difference between karka and metaltalin, movables and land. Land has a much stronger shepherd, a much stronger bond to the loan, and therefore. Um, land could be collected. So let me just check. Um, sorry, sorry, not land. Land is actually Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam says the difference is that land or mataltalin. He says land has a very strong shibud and therefore the creditor can go and collect it from the temple if it was donated to the temple, Heg became hektesh. Whereas, Mithaltari do not have a strong shibut or might not have a shibut at all, so he can't. Rashi gives a different answer. He says the difference is Kedushas Damim or Kedushas Hakuf. We've discussed this in the past. Kedushas Damim is where the atom gets a monetary sanctity. Either Beis Hamidash is not going to use that atom. What will the Beis Hamidash do with the car? What will the Base Hamidash do with, um, with a la- field? So that is Kedusha's Damim, those items. The Bayes HaMikdash will sell them and use the money for something they need. So there he says, where it's Kedusha's Damim, Rashi says, that's where the Shibud can be removed. He can go and collect it. The creditor can go and collect it from the temple. But if it's Kedusha's Akuf, if it's an item donated to the temple that will get intrinsic sanctity, for example, an animal which will be a korban, something like that, he says, that's where it's strong enough to Remove it okay, so that's a seems to be an important discussion around this. Uh, um, that comes up here again. There are a few other answers, but I think those two are enough. Again, the difference between karka and metaltalin karka, the Shibud, is much stronger than it is on metaltalin. And all uh, the other answer, Rashi says, uh, the answer Rashi gives is the difference between kadusha sakuf or kadusha's damim. If it's kadusha sakuf, then the creditor cannot go get it back it becomes temple property it's intrinsically holy it will be used as a korban and but if it's katushas damim then he can come and collect it without having to pay hegdesh we say he must pay a token amount okay so that's key pligi so back to our point we asked the makhloike sabayin rova was when do we view the security the mashkon as becoming the creditors is it from the time the loan was taken out, or is it from the time that the debtor defaulted? So key, the borrower defaulted, so keep the cottage mill the question is if the lender sold the item the security, or the lender sanctified the item a who a buyer says. Well, we say he collects it from the time of the loan, once the due date of the loan arrives, and the borrower doesn't pay, well, then it's revealed that retroactively it was the creditors to sell, and it's a good sale, and it was the creditors to sanctify, and it's a good hegdesh. Right, so that's how buy would learn again. By the fact that it's, it really, to a degree, it belongs to the creditor from the time the loan was taken out. And therefore, when the borrower defaults, we view it as having belonged to the creditor all the time. Therefore, if you sold it in the interim, It's a good sale. If you donated it to the temple, it's a good sale. Robert says, no, it's only his from now onwards, from the time that the borrower defaulted. Since if he would have had money, he would have paid money. Comes out that he only acquires it now. This didn't belong to the debtor. Sorry, this didn't belong to the creditor. It was a security it was only if the debtor doesn't have money. So it wasn't his until he actually doesn't have money and he defaults on the loan. So that's the question. And then the Gemara asks, um, so that's the Machloi um, Did Rav really say this? Rami bar said, Ruvain Shimon. Quite a tricky case, but Ruvain sold the field to Shimon. but with a guarantee. If anything, if someone, let's say another creditor of Ruvain's come and takes this field, he will have to pay Shimon back. If anything happens to, if someone comes and collects this field, then he, Reuven will have to pay Shimon back. So the land came with a guarantee. Bezog von Then Shimon didn't pay him immediately. He wrote it as a loan. I guess similar to how many houses are bought nowadays with a, with a bond from the bank. You, you buy the house and then instead of paying now, you write the money as a loan. Again, but this was done straight to Shimon. So he says, okay, so Shimon, I owe you X for the house the And a creditor from Ruvain came to collect a field from Shimon. Again, creditors um, and Shimon went ahead and paid money to the creditor. Now what Shimon thought Yes um what Shimon thought he was doing. He owed ruve money. So he owed the estate money. But the estate. Owed him money as a guarantee for this field. So he thought let me just pay off this. Creditor who's come to collect my field. Because. I will then owe the. Uh, granted I owe the estate. The, uh, money. When he. Ca- I'll then be able to collect for the land. So let me just pay this money to the creditor. And we'll be square. So. Since Shimon owes the money to Ruvain, when he pays the Balkhov it's as if he's um we're still gonna say it's as if he paid his own money. So he claims he claims, granted it was his own money that he paid, it should satisfy the debt. So but the Gemara points out, Ruven for Shimon the sons of Ruvain, either heirs, can come to Shimon and tell him Anan our father left metaltalim, not land, in a debt. You owed our father metaltalim. And the metaltalim of orphans, of heirs, is not bonded to a balchov. When a creditor comes to collect from the estate, Ruvain owed money and then he died. When they come to collect from the, from the estate, they cannot collect metaltalim. They cannot collect money. They can only collect land. And therefore, the orphans are basically still, cla- can still claim that Shimon owes them the money. It says, "Ah, oh, Shimon paid the Baal That was not money that they would have ever been obligated to pay. Again, if a creditor comes to, a st- uh, uh, to an estate and there's large, um, metally movable assets, it's not, none of that will be used to pay the debt. He only pays the debt worth. Land and therefore this that Shimon owed the estate money, this creditor who came and to came to the estate would never be able to take that money that Shimon owed the estate. And the orphans would never have had to pay that money. So therefore, when Shimon goes ahead and pays that money, it's his own money that he's paid, and the orphans can say, Well, you still owe us a debt says, oh but I paid for money that you would have had to pay. They say, well we would never have had to pay that because you owed you paid him a and that's what we owed. So that's uh that's the din. The Omar Rover Rover comes along and says, Epikah <laughs> Shimon um um, Robert says if Shimon was clever I have a solution for him he shouldn't have paid the credit to the money because now he has no recourse to claim it back when he goes to the orphans as we just learned when he goes to the orphans and says pay me the orphans tell him sorry we don't uh, we would never have to what what do we owe you um, for money you paid for for our state our state would never have had to pay cash so what should he have done he should have given land to the orphans he should have said to the orphans oh i owe your father money here's land here's my here's land instead of the money and then he could go and collect then he's owed money by the estate because remember he bought the field with a guarantee so he's now owed money from the estate so he can take the land back because a creditor can take land Rab Nachman says that orphans that collected land as a that was owed to their father or for a debt owed to their father, a Balchov, one of their father's creditors, can come and collect that land from them. Now This makes sense if you say that. When do we say that a debtor that, sorry, when do we say that the security, we view the security as belonging to the creditor? From the time of the loan. Then it makes sense that he can come and collect it from them. The commander, because it's as if he's collecting from his father. Again, Shimon owed money for the land he bought. Remember, he bought this land from Ruven, He never pay, They Instead of paying then and there, they wrote it as he owes it as a debt. So now this land is bonded to if you say that the land the, the you view the security as transferring from the time of the loan, retroactively it goes back to the time of the loan, well then this land always belonged to the father. If you say that the land is collected from now onwards, dami. If it's only if it only becomes the property of the creditor when he defaults when the debtor defaults well then this is new land that the orphans collected it was never their father's land it's new land that their orphans collected and how can shimon collect it from them you can't shimon can't collect things that the orphans buy shimon can only collect things that the father owed owned at the time so therefore, so it seems from here, from how Rava Paskin here, that Shimon can give the orphans land and then take that land back to, to... He can give the orphans the land to satisfy his debt to them and then take the land back to satisfy the debt to him, the guarantee. And that seems to imply, Mikanullah habo that the... the that, that seems to imply Lema Freya, like a buyer, not like Rava. So how could Rava say that? So... The Gemara answers. Yeah, sorry, I left out a phrase. If the orphans acquire new property, it's definitely not bond, uh, bonded to the balchov. So the Gemara answers, shiny to amar lehu. It's different because Shimon can say to the orphans, just as it's bonded to your father and it's kind of viewed as just as you telling me that this land is bound bonded to your father for the debt that I owe him, well so too this land is your father's land, this land is bonded to me because he owes me a debt. What's the debt? The guarantee. The guarantee, that, that's what the guarantee basically is, a security on a debt. If, someone, if something happens, to, if this land gets taken away, like here it does, I'll have to replace it. This is mid Rabbi Noson, and this is based on the principle of Rabbi Noson. The Tanya Rabbi Noson, Omer Rabbi Noson says, If someone owes his friend money, and his friend owes another friend money, A owes B money and B owes C money. You can take from A and give it straight to C. He pays it to who he is, who he owes the money. Aye, so this is the same thing that Rabbi Noson says who has the... If A owes B money and B owes C money, it's as if C has a lien on A. You can skip the middle man. So, so to here, again, it's it's the same people, so it's tricky, but Shimon owes Ruven money, who, if something happens to the field, who owes Shimon money. So Shimon can go and collect straight from Shimon. But that's the... That's the mechanisms of what's happening here, um, and that's why it works. Okay, so that was um, a challenge on Rava. We're now going to challenge Rava again. Tonight. We learned in our Mishnah. This is why you're wondering why the Sukhi is bought here. What's this got to do with Psochim? This seems to be, uh, as I said, civil law, um, estate law. So he says, No, we're going to try to bring a proof on our Mishnah. Tnan, we learned in our Mishnah, Nochri Yisrael al Achara Pesach, Mutar Bano. If a non Jew lends a Jew money for the Jews' chomets as a security after Pesach, Jews can get benefit from that chomet. Now, Yehomad might be Freya, go over. it makes sense, if you say he collects it Lema Freya. That's why it's Mutarbahano. Again, because what happens, when the Jew defaults on the loan after Pesach, whose Chomets is it? It's viewed as the non-Jews Chomets from a few months ago when he took out the loan. So therefore, this Chomets has belonged to the non jew the whole time, and especially the last few days of Pesach, over Pesach. And therefore, Jews can get benefit from the Chomets. But if you say that the 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 security is only viewed as being transferred to the creditor when the loan is defaulted, well, it's been the Jews the whole time. Why is it Mutabano? Because again, when was the due date of this loan? After Pesach. So the Jews had this non um so, the, so whose chomet was it over Pesach? It was the Jews. It was you're right. It was a security for a loan for money that the Jew owed the non-Jew. But it's a Jew's chomet. After Pesach, when he defaults on the loan, that's when the food, the chomet, goes to the non-Jew. But it's too late. It's already it belonged to the Jew over the whole of Pesach. So that so that's a cash on So the Gemara answered and what's the case here? Keshehirinu where the Jew deposited the money with the non-Jew. I, when the Jew deposits the money with the non-Jew, it's as good as him saying, "Here's the here's the chomets and it's yours," because the non-Jew doesn't have to collect it anymore. All that has to happen is the is when he says, "Look, okay, so lend me the money and here's chomets, here's uh, my whiskey collection to as a security for the thing," and he gives it to the non-Jew to keep till and in until he pays him back, and then he defaults. Since it's in the non-Jews property, it's viewed as being His the whole time. This seems to be a machloi kest tanaim. Says Yisrael Shehil V'lenoch Re'el Chimutzah, a brysa, very similar to, to Al Mishnah, a Jew that lends a non-Jew money for his chometz l'achar pesach after Pesach, he does not transgress if he gets hanor from those chometz. Mishum Rebimea, Omru Over Rebimea says he does transgress. I, was it the Jews' Chomets on Pesach or was it the non-Jews' Chomets on Pesach? That when the Jew or the, when the Jew gets benefit from this Chomets after Pesach, whose was it? So, my love, how come the Mara Sovela Mavreel Koveh? Rebbe must right. hold, he collects it retroactively. Aye, so it's... It's as if it's been... The, the, the Jew lent the money to the non-Jew and therefore... From the time of the loan, the Chomets of the non-Jews belong to the Jew. And that's why Rabbi Meir says he transgresses with that Chomets. Um, Umar Sover in the first opinion holds, Mikanu la'abogo, no, it's only viewed as his from now onwards. So granted the khomets, the non-Jews Chomets was bonded to the Jew as a loan, it's only viewed as the Jews when the non-Jew defaults. So therefore that's why it's not over. So the Gomorrah, no, but that's not logical. I'm a safer look what the price says in the last clause. But if a non-Jew led to Jew money for his Chomets, after Pesach, everyone agrees he transgresses. If it was based on the discussion of do we view the loan, the security as transferring ownership from the beginning of the loan, retroactively, or do we view it as only from the time of the default or not? He says, then we should have said, switched it around. Laman Omar according to the one who there, where it was the non-Julean in the Jew, says he does not transgress. Here he should have said he does transgress. Laman Omar Over, according to the one who says over there that he does transgress. Here he should have said he does not transgress. So that can't be, the makhloikas can't be whether we view the loan as transferring ownership at the beginning of the loan, retroactively, or at the end of the loan, because then it should switch, whether it's the Jew or the non-Jew ending the money. But in that price, everyone agreed that if it was the Jew lending the non-Jew money, with his chomets as a security, everyone agrees that if the Jew takes that money, he transgresses. Um, having if Sorry, when the non-Jew defaults and the Jew gets that chomets, he transgressed and he, he would transgress getting benefit from that chomet after Pesach. We see it's viewed as if it belonged to the Judah all time. So, that comp- So, what is the Machlokes? <laughs> What's their argument here? Because when she read no where it was deposited by him, the kama Yitzchak, and they're arguing in Rabbi Yitzchak. How do we know that the Baal acquires the Mashkon? Rashi explains. We view the creditor as actually acquiring, almost as if he bought the security with the debt. So when he lends the money for the chomets, it's as if he bought it, especially when the chomets is placed in his property. Shinemar, as the says, it will be considered a tzedakim. If he doesn't acquire the mashkon, how's it a docker? What's the context? The context is where it's discussing securities, and it says if it's a poor person, you must return his pillow and his pajamas at night. Uh, you take you, This person lent a poor person money. So he only has one pair of pajamas. One uh, pillow. So he says he must return it at night. So that he has a thing to use. And his mill or whatever. He must return it at day. And he can collect the pajamas to keep as a security during the day. Now, And the the postdoc says, Hashem says, I will view it as if you're doing more tzedakah. As if you're being righteous when you do this. Now if you say that the creditor acquires the object that it's basically his, okay, then it's a good tzedakah. He's giving the poor person these uh, pajamas to use at night, which he acquired. Again, it's a security, but he acquired it. But if you say he didn't acquire it, well, then what Sadoka is it? It's not his item. It's the poor person. So that's what Rebbe Yitzchak says, He says, We see from there that a Balchov acquires the mashkon. Everyone agrees with that. However, Tanakama Sovrahani Mili Yisrael the Karina Bay, it's Doka. When it's a Jew who lent money to a Jew, then we say that the the creditor acquires the mashkon and it's a docker. But when a Yisrael acquires the money from a non-Jew, sorry, when a Yisrael takes his security from a non Jew, he does not acquire it. Right, so that's the Tanakama. When the Jew like, uh, yeah, when the non when the Jew lends the non Jew money, he acquires that schmets and it's his. How aval But, sorry, when a Jew lends a Jew money, he acquires it. But when a Jew lends a non Jew money, he doesn't acquire the mashkon. That pasuk that we said that it's it's as if he acquires the mashkon because the Torah says it's a tzedakah, that when he gives it back. Um, that's all a Jew from a Jew, but not a Jew from a non-Jew. And Rabbi Meir says, no. If we say that the Jew acquires the security of a non-Jew, the creditor acquires it as if he bought it, well then, from a non-Jew, he would definitely say he acquires it. When the case of where the non-Jew lent the Jew money for his Chomets as a security, after Pesach everyone agrees he transgresses, there definitely a non-Jew does not acquire it from a Jew. So there's three cases. We know that if a Jew lends another Jew money, he acquires the Mashkon as if he bought it. He acquires the security as if he bought it. If a Jew lends a non-Jew money, do we say that the Jew acquires it? That's we want what we say. It's a mahlukes, the Tanakama holds that. He does not acquire it from the non-Jew. This, that, it's a halacha. That, it's as if the creditor bought the mashkon. I heard the, they, they express it um, as, yeah, he bought it on condition. He buys this, when he gives, lends the money, he's buying the security on condition that he doesn't pay him back. So it's, a, it's, a, it's his, he acquires it. Or do we say, um, so that's a Jew from a Jew, a Jew from a non-Jew? That's the Mahloike, Tanakama says, no, this hallo, we do not view it as bought. But everyone agrees that a non-Jew from a Jew, it's not considered bought. Aye, so when the non-Jew lends the Jew money... And the Jew gives them a security it's not considered bought. It's considered the Jews. He says, oh, but what about our Mishnah? We learned in our Mishnah. No, we'll our Mishnah said that if a non-Jew lends a Jew money for his chomet, after Pesach, the Jews allowed to get benefit. He says, granted the Jew deposited the chomet by the non-Jew. You, you just told me that the Jew doesn't acquire it. Sorry, the non-Jew doesn't acquire it. So it's the same as if I would give, put, what's all that's happening here is the Jews storing Jews' chomets in a non-Jew's house. You transgress having chomets on Pesach if you take your chomets. If you say that the non-Jew bought the chomets from you because he acquires much. okay, fine. Then you don't transgress having the chomets because it's the non-Jew's chomets. But if you're saying here that when you give him the security... He does not acquire it, well then it's just keeping your security in his ha- the security in his house. It's still your homage. you should have transgressed. It says, no, the difference is when the Jew deposits the security by the non-Jew, does he say it's yours from now if I default? Or did, did he not say that? Did he just say, here's the security? Let's see what happens in a few after in a few months when the loan's due. How do I know to make this distinction? The Tanya, as we learned in a Brisa, she here in a non-Jew who left a large loaf of bread to a Jew, Ayna Over. Sorry, a non-Jew who deposited a large loaf by a Jew, he does not transgress having the Yisrael does not transgress having the non-Jew's chomet, because he doesn't acquire it. If he says, it is yours. Now what does it is yours mean? So the, it must be, it is yours from now. Over then he does transgress. It says if it's the Jews and therefore he, the Jew transgresses owning this chometz on Pesach. What's the difference? It says, we see it's, conclu- it's conclusively. There's a difference whether he says from now or not. So we've added in a factor. We said, firstly, when the non-Jew lends the Jews money, everyone agrees that the non-Jew does not, in a standard loan, the non-Jew does not automatically acquire the security as it is, which we said by a Jew from a Jew, definitely the Jew does acquire it. A Jew from a non-Jew, that was a Mahloi case. A non-Jew from a Jew, the standard case is, that the the non-Jew does not acquire it. However, if the Jews deposited with the non-Jews, saying, here's the security and it's yours from now if I default. Right, let's say he was struggling to get the loan. So he said, here, take, keep this deposit and it's yours from now if I default. Then, whose Chomets is it? It's the non-Jews. And obviously the other way around. Um, the other way around, it would be the Jews, like in Al-Mishnah. We learned in a Brisa. Um similar, much uh, a new case but built on the principles we've just been discussing. If you have a shop that belongs to a Jew, it's a Jewish owner and the stock in the shop belongs to the Jewish owner. Nochrim, And even if they're non-Jewish workers going in and out of there, Achara Any chomets you find in that shop after Pesach is also Bahanov, and obviously you're not allowed to eat it. I we assume you find you go into a kosher world after Pesach and you find a box of crackers. We don't assume that it was the workers who, the non-Jewish workers who were working there over Pesach. We assume it's the owner of the shops. The stock, all the stock in the shop. And then the opposite, Chana or Shil If you have a shop that belongs to a non-Jew and all the stock in the shop belongs to the non-Jew. Or Yisrael and the Jew, even though it's Jewish workers who are going in and out of that shop, working in that shop over Pesach, <laughs> any chomet that's found there just after Pesach, <laughs> and you're obviously allowed to get benefit from it. Again, okay, why? Because it's most, we can assume that there's everything in that shop belonged to the shopkeeper, the non-Jew. And therefore, it's non-Jew's chomet over Pesach, which Jews can get benefit from on Pesach. Okay, let's do the last Mishnah. Um, we let's do this Mishnah and the Gemara on it, and then we'll leave it for today. So it's and like my Going back to a more to an easier discussion, but just in summary, what are some of the main points we learned? Very interestingly, um, I mean, as I said, it's largely <laughs> Mishpat um, Halacha. But how do we view a mesh on a security? Who is considered the owner? And so we've started off with a Machloek a and rova. First case was when do we view the security as having transferred to the to the creditor when the borrower defaults? When do we say so? That a buyer says we view it as from the day the loan was taken. Retroactively, it was his, and Roma says no. We say it's from the day, uh, um, from the day only from the day that he defaults because it wasn't really his. The loan was for money and to pay back money. And it's only if he does not pay back money. Well, then from that day, the creditor gets the security. So he says it only considered his from then onwards. That would have a major ramification, as we said, by Chomets and the security. Who's considered the owner of the Chomets? But we added in a layer to that discussion where the Chomets is deposited by the person and who's considered the actual owner of the deposit we pointed out that according to Rebi Yitzchak, when a Jew has a security from another Jew, he's viewed, that Jew who has the security, is viewed as the owner. It's as if he bought it from the borrower. And therefore, that would, um, and then obviously the permutations of that, does that aloha apply to when it's a Jew borrowing from a non-Jew? Do we, sorry, when a Jew lent a non-Jew money, do we say it's as if he bought the security? And then, obviously, when a non-Jew borrows money from a Jew, we say it's as if he did not. It's definitely as if he did not buy the security. Okay, new Mishnah. If a ruin falls, let a wall collapses on Chometz, it's as if it's been destroyed. Uh, you know you had Chometz, but there's a whole um, a building collapsed on it you don't have to go looking for it and get it on Pesach. It's as if it's been destroyed. Rabbi Shimon Gamil Omer calls Kelev Rabbi Shimon Gamil says that specifically where a dog would not search after it. If the dog is able to sniff out the chomets, then he might dig it up. So if a Jew, if if the dog is able to sniff out the chomets, then he might undig it out on Pesach. And then the person whose chomets it is, has chomets on Pesach. So only if it's um, buried to a degree that the Chometz is inaccessible even to a dog. He says, However, he must still do bitul belaif. He must still nullify that Chometz that and say it's as if it's ownerless. The reason I think is ama- only exaggerate upon it or ISIS is it's if it's destroyed, it's inaccessible, it's not his Chometz anymore. It's not Chometz that you would say he can see or that he has in his possession because it's inaccessible, um, but he should still do Bittul in case it becomes accessible on Pesach. Tana, Kama How deep does a dog dig? How how far underground does it have to be buried? That it's considered inaccessible to a dog as well, so a dog won't take it out. So it says, (inaudible) Shloshet Vachim, three Tvachim. Omele Ravacha, Bred Rav Yosef, Ravashi Ravacha. The son of Rav Yosef asked Ravashi, He says, Hoda Omele Shmuel, Kasafim Einoim Shmira, Ele Bekarka, Mibo, Inan Shloshet Vachim, Allah. There's a halacha that money, there's no way to look after silverware except to bury it in the ground. Do you have to bury it three Tvachim or not? If you're entrusted, there's a big discussion. Exactly, are you entr- were you paid to look after the silverware, or were you just asked to look after the silverware? But either way, if you were entrusted with the silverware, what's considered a reliable level of responsibility? I, if you leave it in your front garden and someone steals it, you'd be liable. If you put it in the Bank safety deposit box. Okay, you've done definitely shmirah. So what's considered looking after this? So he says burial. So do you have to, uh, you have to bury it in the ground? That's considered a responsible level of looking after, guarding, protecting this item that you were entrusted to watch. Now, how deep do you have to bury it? Do you also have to bury it three tefachim. So the answer is no. And Here we're just concerned about the smell. Will the dog smell the comet and dig it up? There, by the by the, when you when you're responsible to look after an item, there all you have to do is keep it out of sight so that thieves can't see it. They won't uh, know about it. There, all you need to do is basically cover it. Ah, oh, so Amram the Kama. So how much? Amram from Bar Pappa, tefach, a depth of a tefach. So if you're, if you're, uh, according to Rashi, you were asked, your friend asked you to look after his uh, jewelry. So what's considered a safe uh, thing to bury it? How deep? Only one tefach. Ah, oh, but we learned in our Mishnah to have something considered buried and inaccessible. It has to be 3dfochen. No, there, our concern is that a dog will smell it and a dog can smell through rubble up to 3dfochen. Kate, we'll leave it there for today.